have, uh, have any of you been to Disney World? Let me know if you have. Who's been to Disney? Okay. Or Disneyland, California maybe, perhaps. Um, and they're, they're set up the same way. And as soon as you, if it's Disney World, I haven't been to Disneyland, so I can't speak to that. But Disney World, you're riding on the, the boat or you're coming in on the train. And as soon as you round the corner, there it is. The castle. I mean, it's Cinderella's castle. And it's just spectacular. And so the first time especially, I mean, it's, it's magical every time you see it, right? But the first time especially, I mean, you're just in awe of this, this castle that you've seen on all the movies that they start, you know, and the Disney logo comes and there's the castle. And now you're seeing it in person. And it's just like, wow, there it is. It's unbelievable. Uh, and it's the same kind of thing uh, if you have gone to uh, a new city, a famous city for the first time. Uh, who loves to just travel all over the place, enjoys that? Yeah, I do, I do too. I love it. Love going to new places, seeing new things, and historical, famous locations that you've never been before. It doesn't matter where it is. If you've, you've been there for the first time, everything just wows you. I mean, it just blows you away. What's that? What's that? What's that over there? And if you have a tour guide or somebody that is familiar, you drive them crazy by asking them all those questions. You're like, what's that thing over there? Oh, wow, that's neat. What is that? Well, that's just, that's just a store. And, you know, and there's all these different things that you see, and, and it just thrills you to see them for the first time. It's all fresh, and it's all new, and it's an experience that you never forget. How amazing must it have been for the Apostle John to be able to get a much more detailed glimpse of this new Jerusalem, this incredible heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, especially after all he witnessed before. I mean, think about all that he's witnessed in his vision known as the revelation that we've covered and talked about this whole time in this study. It hasn't all been good by any means, right? I mean, there's been a lot of of dark things he's seen, he's witnessed. A lot of destruction, a lot of calamity, a lot of discouraging, despair-filled scenes that he's witnessed. Now, last week we talked about the new heavens and the new earth, and so certainly I'm not talking about what he, he saw in, in the last focus that we had last week. I mean, that was amazing, amazing stuff. And before he really saw the new heavens and the new, new earth, he saw kind of far away, just as a, as a glimpse, he saw the new Jerusalem. But what we're going to be looking at today is a zeroed-in or a zoomed-in look at this amazing city called the New Jerusalem. And it must have absolutely been thrilling for John, as a Jew who loved Jerusalem and who probably was still sad and discouraged by the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which he had uh, either witnessed or definitely heard about just a little over 20-some years earlier than this vision, And so seeing everything made new, the new heavens and the new earth, and now seeing new Jerusalem, it must have been astounding for him. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The new Jerusalem, the city of God, and his people. 
This is as we're continuing not just our overall series, What Revelation Reveals, but kind of a series within a series. The end is the beginning. We started that segment last week where we've said that all of the the things that come to an end as the vision of Revelation is coming to an end, it's all necessary to bring about the beginning. The beginning of all that God has always had in in plan and and in mind for His people. So we're going to continue on with that theme. The end is the beginning. Looking at the new Jerusalem, the city of God and His people and our main passage as we do that today together is going to be Revelation 21, starting at verse 9, and we'll go to verse 14 and then jump ahead to the end of the chapter. So Revelation 21, starting in verse 9. Verse 9, Revelation 21 says this, Then one of the seven angels, who had held the seven bowls, filled with the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. What a contrast right away. I mean, you go from sadness and judgment and and fear with those seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues to let me come show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. I mean, you've got sadness and judgment. Now you've got joy and grace, and it's the same angel that's doing that. It's really, to me, uh, that's really interesting, and it's a beautiful contrast. So after he says that to John, here's what John says took place. He then carried me away in the Spirit, that's through the Holy Spirit, to a great high mountain, and showed me the Holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. You you see not only beauty emphasized, but you see purity emphasized, right? Don't you see that? This precious jewel, clear as crystal, the clarity that comes from something that's pure, holy. And so you see that even though this is a physical city, and, and I mean a real city, really what this shows us and what we can glean from this description, this early description, is that just as a church, us, just as a church is more than a building, It's a good reminder, by the way, the church is more than a building, and that's certainly how we should live, like it's more than a building. Just as a church is more than a building, New Jerusalem will be more than a city. It will be a city, but it will be more than that. So you think of the church, it's the body of Christ, right? And it's the place that the body of Christ meets in. That's what we're doing right now, today. If we had not come in here, you and me, this wouldn't be the church. Because we are the church and we make this meeting place the church. So, just like that's true, New Jerusalem, it will be the bride of Christ. And it's the place that we will live in. So, it really connects. You see the same kind of concept at work here. 
The church is the place that the bride of Christ or the body of Christ meets in. New Jerusalem will be the place the bride of Christ will live in. And so with it coming down, he's seeing it come down, and he's seeing all this beauty and all this splendor, and then it's like zoomed in even more. Verses 12-13, through 13, look at that with me. The city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. Isn't it good to know that our God is a promise-keeping God? See, the fact that the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on these gates, that is evidence of a promise kept because God told Abraham and He told Isaac and Jacob and all throughout Israel's history that He would preserve them and give them an eternal inheritance. God promised Israel that I will always bless you. You will always be my people. I will always be your God. And here's evidence of it. This is a a manifestation of that promise. That at the twelve gates surrounding this incredible city, there's the names of the twelve tribes of Israel's sons, preserved for all of eternity, showing that Israel will always, always have a very special place, a permanent place in God's mind, in His heart, and His plan. And that's good news for us. Because if He kept the promise to Israel throughout all these centuries, after all Israel has been and done, after all they have not been and not done, then my friends, it's really good news for us, isn't it? This is exciting stuff. Let's keep going. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Verse 14, the city wall had 12 foundations, and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, it's Jesus, were on the foundations. Isn't it, isn't it beautiful that you see the 12 tribes of Israel represented and the 12 apostles represented, and you see it both together, which really point to the fact that it's Israel and the church together. The church did not somehow become Israel and just kick Israel out of everything. No, not at all. It's Israel and the church, and together they make up, as Paul says, the true Israel. The true Israel. And you see it pictured here, and it's just a a beautiful, beautiful fact that will stand literally for all of eternity. The twelve names of the twelve apostles and the Lamb were on the foundations. And here's something else that shows us. Here's another teachable moment for us. If our church, any church, but let's just talk about our church here locally, if our church isn't built on the foundations of the apostles, our faith, our doctrine, our practice, if our church isn't built on the foundations of the apostles, we are building on the wrong thing. And it's not because the apostles are somehow Uh, equal to God or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But it's because the apostles established their ministry, their teaching, their life, all they did as they went out and were used by Christ to build His church. Guess what they built it on? Christ. 
in Christ alone. So it makes sense and it is imperative that as we build our church, which is not ours anyway, it's His, but as we build that and are used by Him to build it, that we are very careful, very intentional that we keep building on that same foundation, the foundation that the apostles themselves laid. And don't just take my word for it. Let's take the word for it. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 says this, the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. And he's talking really to us, to the Gentiles, those outside of Israel. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. So see, that's what the apostles built on. And that's what we should continue to build on. That's the foundation that's needed. And it really goes along with what Jesus Himself said in Matthew 16, 18, when He told Peter, after asking the disciples, who do people say I am? What do they think? And they gave Him different answers. And He said, well, what about you guys? Who do you say I am? And Peter looked around, and as typically was his fashion, he spoke for the group, and he said, you're the Christ. You're the promised one. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's exactly right, and God, my Father, has given you that, and I tell you the truth, on that rock, on the bedrock, the boulder of that truth, that's how I'm going to build my church. And I will continue to build it, and it will be built always on that truth, and because that truth is enough. It's all that's ever needed. The truth of who Jesus is and what He is. What He alone does. And He said, as I build my church on the truth and reality of who I am, not even the gates of hell and death will prevail against it. So it makes sense then, doesn't it, that we would not seek to build on any other foundation? We need to keep building on that, that same firm, eternal foundation. Now, between these verses that we've just looked at and the last set of verses in the chapter, John goes into an even more detailed description of the city's dimensions and its features. Not going to really spend time on that. Let me just give you a really quick summary. It's really, really big. It's 1,400 miles high, long, and wide. 1,400 miles long, high, and wide. And it's also stunningly beautiful, apparently. The walls, John says, are decorated in just about every dazzling, precious stone there is. And he gives all these descriptions of these stones. Some of them uh, we can know because they're around today. Some aren't. But the point is they're all just spectacular. And the indication is they all do a really, really good job of refracting light. So you've got the glorious light of God and this new Jerusalem being refracted through all these precious stones. I mean, it, it has to be dazzling. And 
poor John, he probably didn't have sunglasses, but I mean, it was the, it's probably so bright, he would probably wish he, he had something to cover his eyes. I mean, it would just been glaring, but at the same time, he wouldn't have wanted to look away. He wouldn't have wanted to look away. So, moving on, let's go to verses 21 and 22 for now. Jumping ahead in the chapter, 21 and 22. And John continues writing what he saw in this amazing, unparalleled place known as New Jerusalem. Verse 21, the twelve gates are twelve pearls. As in, he needed to clarify, like we would say, what? Come again? He, it's like he anticipated that because he clarifies. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. That's a pretty massive pearl, don't you think? I mean, if each gate is a pearl, and there's 12 of those, what I want to know where are the oysters? Like, I mean, if, if each pearl's the size of a gate, I mean, my goodness, who, if you guys like oysters, man, there's your place. So each individual gate was, was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And there's where those statements come and the songs come about the pearly gates and the streets of gold. That's, that's where they come from. Pure gold, transparent as glass. Once again, this points to the fact that this place, this new Jerusalem, it really is the holy city. It's holy. It's pure. It's perfect. And really, the dimensions of the city, the fact that it's laid out in a cube in the way that it is, and, and even the, the things that ornamented all those precious stones, these pearl gates, the streets of gold, really it fulfills the picture of the holy of holies that was in the tabernacle and in the temple. Laid out very, very similarly. Very similar. And certainly, if that's the case, then those things that came before, as precious and special and important as they were, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies in the temple, certainly this is the fulfillment of of all of that. Holy, pure. The good news for you and me, Christian, is as spectacular as that will be to see this, which we will, this is an assured reality, But we don't really have to wait for this to be walking on the holy ground that New Jerusalem will be. Those holy streets of gold. We really don't have to wait for that completely. Here's why. In Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us. You agree with that? So because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, really... Wherever we go, wherever we are, we're on holy ground. And think about how different our lives would be if we lived with that in constant focus. Think about the unholy things and the impure things that we would constantly be rejecting if we remembered and actually believed wherever I am, whatever I'm, I'm doing, it's It's in the presence of holiness, and I'm on holy ground because of the Spirit of God that dwells within me. 
I think we would all do well to pursue that mindset a little bit more. But certainly, when we find ourselves before the New Jerusalem, then we will, in fact, literally and constantly be on holy ground. What a day that will be. Verse 22, he continues with what he's seeing, the Apostle John. Verse 22, he says, and this is something very, very significant. Don't miss this. He says in verse 22, I did not see a temple in it. Now, right there, before we go any further, that's significant. Because certainly in John's day, in his culture, and all that he knew, I mean, remember, he's Jewish, all the history, everything he knew, and I mean, not just Jews, but all throughout the world, every society, every culture, every capital city or, or spectacular city had a spectacular temple in it. I mean, that's just what they did. Everywhere you went, if there was a major prominent city, there was a major prominent temple. So the fact that John doesn't see a temple in it, and that's really significant. And I also remind you, I, I said this a little while ago, only a, just a little over 20 years earlier from John's getting this revelation and recording it, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed, just like Jesus predicted that it would be. John would have known all about that. That would have been uh, something that lingered and was still a, a very difficult thing for any Jew to, to accept that there was no more temple. It was always the central place of, of not just their worship, but their identity. So, John is, I would think, probably expecting to see a brand new temple in brand new Jerusalem, right? But he doesn't see one. And then he gives the reason and he gives the answer. Did he have to ask? I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe he asked, wait, why is there no temple? I don't know. But whatever, whether he asked or he didn't need to, and, and the, the Spirit of God just let him know, the point is, he gives the reason why. I did not see a temple in it because... And this is just so good. Oh, this is so, so good. Because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. It was sad and tragic, to be sure, when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. But at the same time, the temple, that temple, or any temple, isn't necessary. It's not vital for our faith or for our worship. Because at the cross of Christ, when Jesus was put on the cross, when He was crucified, and when He rose from the dead, He made the way to God forever open. There's no barrier anymore before God and His people. There's no specially designated place. Oh, you must only go here to really worship God. This place is designated as holy and pure, but nothing else is. No, that's all done away with. All those old systems, they're gone. They were fulfilled and rendered useless. Because we have constant access to the throne of heaven and the one seated on the throne. We have a constant, perfect high priest interceding for us. So we don't need to go to a temple and go into a little booth where there's a priest 
that's human like us. We don't need that. And even beyond that, the church doesn't need a temple now because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, don't just take my word for it. Let's look at the Word. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. And uh, I'm reading this passage from the NLT, the New Living Translation. I love uh, just how crystal clear and um, how the emphasis is put on what Paul writes from that translation. So uh, here's what it says from the NLT. Don't you realize, he's talking to Christians, the church, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So, you must honor God with your body. See, Christian, I said a few moments ago that because of the Holy Spirit, in us, with us, all the earth is holy ground. But even more specific to that, because of the Holy Spirit in us, in you, you are the temple of God. And so, right now, we don't need any sort of specific, you know, designated temple to be in the presence of God or His holiness. We have it with us. I mean, all the heavens can't contain God, and yet He was willing to come down and dwell in you and me. And that should change how we live. That's why Paul was clear to say you don't belong to yourself. You must glorify God with your body. Why? Because your body is not just yours. It was bought and it was made the very temple of the very God. So we don't need that now, but we also won't need a temple in the new life. We won't need a temple in the new life because God's presence will saturate new Jerusalem. I mean, His presence and His holiness will saturate every single corner of this massive new Jerusalem city. So there won't be a need for a temple. Uh, We won't have to go somewhere to worship and glorify God. We won't have to go somewhere to be in His presence. We won't have to look for a, a, a designated anything because God's full glory will be on display everywhere we turn. And we won't have to worry about hiding our faces somehow. We won't have to worry about any barrier being there. It will be completely unfiltered experience and access to and with God. It's It's just... Wow, what He has planned for us, believer. What He has planned. Every person and every place will be holy and suitable for God to inhabit and interact with. It will be a place of total, pure worship. No distractions. No divisions. (laughs) Things like buildings and decorations, music and styles, preferences and traditions, 
opinions and politics will never be an issue there. Hallelujah, right? Man, I am ready for that, aren't you? For no more distractions in our worship, no more divisions in how we worship, no more things vying for our attention. No, our focus, listen Christian, there, our focus will be totally on the God who has always been worthy of our total focus. And all that that would be the case here and now, but our humanity still gets in the way. Our fallen sinful humanity. But then and there, it won't be an issue. It won't be an issue. We will be rid of all that keeps us from being totally focused on the one worthy of our total focus. What a day that will be. Let's keep going. Verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. Why? Because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. Its lamp is the Lamb. Verse 24, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day. In other words, at the end of the day, there won't be a need to close the city gates uh, because night won't fall. There won't be the possibility you know, of, of uh, anything negative or bad or, or uh, fearful happening that often happens through night or, or with the fall of night. There's no need to close it. No need to secure it. The gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. You know, night and and darkness, even though obviously it's good for sleep, um, carries with it, you know, this kind of inherent fear, right? This uncertainty, instability, you know, what's going to happen? And and there will be no need for that. I mean, when do most bad things happen? Most bad things happen at night. Most crime, most corruption. All that's going to be done away with. All reason for fear. All despair, all hopelessness, it's all wrapped up in in this fact of of there not being any more night. All because the glory of God illuminates every corner of the city and because its lamp is the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that teaches us, what that causes us to focus on is a very important reality. And that's this. The glory of God is the only light that never goes out. The glory of God is the only light that never goes out. And that's important for us to remember because on this earth and in this life, it's very easy, so, so easy, to get distracted by sources of artificial light all around us. Or, Uh, even by things that are pure and beautiful and even reflect God's light and glory, but that still fade and burn out. We get so distracted. You know, I mean, it's, we're, we're like the little bugs that are drawn to the, the light that you put out that zaps them. 
I mean, in, in this world and in, in our life, we're kind of like that. We float along in the world and we're like, oh, light. Look at the pretty light. Zap. You know, we, we do that all the time. We, we chase after all these things because we think they're shiny and, and pretty and they're going to satisfy us and they're going to fill us up. And we find, though, that all that they offer us is misery and disappointment. And yet we do it again and again. We keep going after that light. But in the new Jerusalem, in the new Jerusalem, our only focus will be on the eternal light and beauty of our God and Savior. I am really looking forward to that. Let's wrap up the passage. Verses 26 and 27. John says this of the New Jerusalem and what happens there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Because, remember, new heavens, new earth, literal earth. Literal earth, literal earth. Literal New Jerusalem, capital city, over the earth. And think about all the the multitudes of people that we know are going to be there because John's already seen them and written about them earlier in the book. You remember he said, I, I, I see countless numbers of thousands, thousands upon thousands, all glorifying the, the one on the throne and the Lamb. And that's going to keep happening. And we also know that uh, those that are in Christ will reign with Him. That's also described in this great revelation. So there's There's people throughout the nations. It's a whole new system. I don't know what it's going to be like or what it's all going to entail, but there's new nations. There's structure. There's organization because God is the God of order. And there will be some sort of perfect order and government because government in itself is not bad. Government was set up by God. It's the fallen, corrupted nature of humanity that makes government bad. But government will be restored and it will be perfect. So there'll be nations and there'll there'll be people ruling. And what does everybody do? What what will be the desire of all nations and all the people living on this new reality? It will be to bring all their glory, all their honor into New Jerusalem to glorify and honor the God and King of that city. And he goes on. Verse 27, Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. And that is to say, it's not like there could be the possibility, like, oh, there could still be something unclean, or there could be still someone who does what is detestable or false. There could still be somebody who decides to become sinful and corrupt and rebel against God. That's not what John is saying. That is not what this means. John is saying all that is an impossibility at this point. It's all been done away with. Sin and death are no more, ever. So all that's left is the clean, the truthful, the pure, those written in the Lamb's book of life. Won't that be wonderful? I want to close this message with you today by giving you another quote from The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis. I shared with you two quotes last week, and I want to give you this quote from a character in the book that actually was a unicorn, and he was part of Aslan's people. They're exploring the new country, Aslan's country, heaven, 
And he says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. Come further up. Come further in. I think we'll be saying that to one another. And that's what we're going to do next week as we continue to look at New Jerusalem in some more detailed ways and as we wrap up our study of this amazing book. We'll do that, Lord willing, next week. Unless all this starts before then. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your constancy. I thank You, God, that You are truly the same yesterday, in the past, today, our present, and forever. Thank You for giving us, by Your grace, by Your unimaginable mercy, our salvation in and through the person of Your Son, Jesus. And because of Jesus, not only do we have salvation and the power to live for You in the present, because of Jesus, not only do we have the Holy Spirit making us holy as we yield to Him and the privilege of being His temple, even though we could never deserve that, But not only do we have all that in the here and now, we also have a glorious, assured future. And thank you for preserving your word, specifically this incredible revelation that you gave to Jesus, and that then he, through his angel and by his own word, gave to John and commanded to write and to give out to all the churches. Thank You for preserving that for us living today and for letting us see what John saw. Thank You so much. We don't deserve that gift or that blessing, but we certainly are thankful for it. But Father, help it to be more than just really awesome, nice, comforting, beautiful words on a page. Help this to result in us living differently now. Please. In light of all that is in store for us, help us to live lives of honor and worship and glory given to You every moment while we're still here. And I ask all these things with praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.